Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. What's up, guys? I'm really excited about the second part of this conversation with Dr. William Lee talking about one of the most important topics that you can focus on, which is your health. Dr. Lee has been a key part of developing 40 FDA-approved therapeutics and devices for cancer, cardiovascular disease, and more. So when I say this guy knows his stuff, I really do mean it. And in his latest book, Eat to Beat Your Diet, he's upending some of the most long-held beliefs in the medical community about how exactly you go about addressing your overall health and your body fat through diet. I was blown away by a lot of the things that he had to say, and I know that you guys are going to be as well. In the second part of the conversation, we talk about how to activate your own body's defenses and why Dr. Lee often turns to food instead of the prescription pad to cure people's illness. We get a masterclass on the magic powers of brown fat and what you can do to create more and why a Mediterranean diet will get your health optimized for longevity. If you want more conversations like this, let us know by leaving a review and following the show. It makes a huge difference in helping us get the show out to more people. I'm Tom Bilyeu, and welcome to Impact Theory. Would I get the same or different diseases if I'm overeating by 5,000 calories in those two paradigms? You get different diseases. Interesting. Am I going to get a disease on both sides? Like if I'm overeating healthy foods, but I, I'm overeating, like I'm packing on the fat every year, year after year, just. Yeah. You know, I, 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 you probably will get different diseases, but I would tell, and I would tell you that your, 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 uh, your curtailment of your longevity will probably be faster with the ice cream. Hmm. So I'm going to die younger. Uh, what, what is that play at a cellular level? Why is that true? Is it, can we boil it down to just sugar? Like the amount of glucose that I'm going to have to deal with. Um, well, so that's, if you're fixing all the calories the same, that's going to be the same on both sides. Your engine's got to rev up higher because you're eating, you're overeating your, the needed amount of calories every day, right? Mm -hmm. You're doing 5,000, you're going over. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to burn more, uh, your engine is going to have to race faster to be able to actually just metabolize uh, those those calories. But on the other hand, the ice cream is adding saturated fat, adding extra sugar to you, okay? Um, and, or maybe it's a sugar-free ice cream. Now you're no, adding- let's make it sugar. Because what I'm really trying to contrast is one is taxing my, um, what I think about as triggering all of the metabolic problems, which is insulin. Right. And the other one, because I mean, maybe I should have framed it more as like, uh, I'm getting the vast majority of my calories from fat. 
right? So I'm eating salads, a ton of plants, but I'm just drowning it in olive oil. I'm not even going to put seed oils, nothing crazy. Like all things that most people would say, yeah, that's great for you. But on one hand, on the one hand, I am forcing my body to process an unimaginable amount of glucose. And then on the other one, I am not. So I'm ta- I'm overeating calories, so it's going to get stored as fat, but I'm I'm not asking it to process blood sugar. Okay. So let's let, let's move it from ice cream to cans of soda. Okay. All right. So you're going to have 5000 calories a day based only on soda. It's got a lot of sugar in it, ton of sugar. Mm. Every soda, you know, 12 ounce can has like 9 table teaspoons of sugar. All right. It's a lot of sugar, like a like a horrific amount of sugar. If I gave you an empty glass and put nine teaspoons of cane sugar in it and gave it to you to chug down, you wouldn't do it. It'd be repulsive. Now you got a salad. Let's just use that extreme of a salad. You put some olive oil on it, go ahead. But that salad's going to have um, leafy greens, it's going to have tomatoes, it's going to have carrots, it's going to have... And I can tell you what the fiber content is and the polyphenol content. We know what those things do. All those other natural chemicals, we call them bioactives, activate systems in your body that counteract the disease process. They try, they'll work hard to try to protect you against the disease. Whereas the soda, no such activation. So you're, the soda is, is just it degrading. Then the lack of the bioactives in the soda or is it, because I've always assumed that this is, that sugar is the blunt force trauma that ends up killing you. If you're dying of metabolic disease, you have a sugar problem. You have intake in too many carbohydrates, full stop, period, end of story. It's that simple. Or no. It's not that simple because, you know, effectively food is not sugar or no sugar. All right. And But is metabolic disease sugar or no sugar? No, I think metabolic disease, there's enough chemical reactions tied to sugar, but tied to other chemical reactions that have nothing to do with sugar. It's, it could be a domino effect. So I could give myself metabolic disease with uh, fat. It's a, you know, this is an interesting cross-examination of a scientist <laughs> because the way you're asking the question is really loaded. You're, you're handing me a grenade with every question, all right? And I'm, and I'm tossing it back at you saying, I'm not pulling a pin, all right? Uh, I'm, I'm asking you to put the pin back in or trying to reframe it so that um, I'm not giving a purposefully controversial answer. What I would say is if you overload on anything, first of all, your brain runs on sugar. If you had no sugar, you would die probably within a day. If you, if you just depleted all your sugar, you wouldn't survive. Your mm. body tries to create sugars uh, and as a, or a substitute, tries to create ketones so you can actually stay alive. So this idea about sugar, it, you know, the, the, the tendency is to try to villainize, you know, demonize food or food substances. It's all bad or it's all good. It's my God or my devil. Not true. A little bit of sugar is totally fine for most normal, healthy people. You can eat a little sugar. And by the way, a tomato, a salad will have some sugar in it. All right. If you actually have a tomato salad, tomatoes have sugar, right? Ripe fruits have sh- and lush fruit, fruits have sugar. But if you look at all the clinical studies, people who eat more fruits and vegetables, including those that contain sugar, they're better than people who eat ice cream and sodas the whole time. So it's the it's the degree of of of, uh, of um, taxation, you know, on your metabolism. A lot of sugar is going to overtax your body. All right, for sure. It's going to cause your metabolism to keep on firing as high as it possibly can to metabolize that sugar. And eventually, the wear and tear is going to show. It's poor quality fuel, period. Now, if you eat a plant-forward diet, 
throw in some chicken, throw in some seafood, what have you. Maybe even throw in a couple of, a little meat every now and then, a little red meat now and then, but mostly plant forward diet. You're, you're getting all these other polyphenols and dietary fiber. Okay. All these other things that, you know, go ahead, fix the amount of calories the same, but now you're adding through plant-based foods uh, and seafoods, uh, and even olive oils, healthy oils, you're adding all these other polyphenols that activate your body's defensive mechanisms and fat opposing mechanisms that might start to counter what the soda can't do by itself because it's lacking that. So it's not like the soda is 100% harmful. It's pretty harmful if you, if look, you and I have a soda right now, we'll be fine. If we're, but if we keep on having a soda every day, week in and week out, year in and year out, and we have a six pack of soda or two or twenty four sodas a day, mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna we're going to completely annihilate our metabolism. All right. So what I would say is that f- diets that are healthy for your metabolism contain polyphenols and dietary fiber, which are happen to be found mostly in plants. Mother Nature has imbued lots of good stuff in our in our plant based foods. I'm not a vegan, uh, and I'm not a vegetarian, although I, I eat mostly uh, vegetables, mm-hmm. um, but I'll eat other things too. And what what I do know is that the foods that I eat that are plant-based are loading me up in addition to calories with other bioactives that actually fire up my body's health defenses, fire up my metabolism in beneficial ways, and in fact, can help fight uh, harmful body fat. So it's not like, are you fat, are you not fat? We are. We all have fat. It's the degree of fat. And by the way, you know, when we're actually not eating, our body is hardwired with a program that just burns down extra fat. So when we're when we're not eating, which like when we're sleeping, uh, which is fasting, uh, which we break that our fast when we wake up, which is why we have breakfast. You know, our body is actually automatically trying to right size itself, kind of kind of burn down some of that extra fuel that might have been formed or stored during the day. But it might not have been just during the day. Maybe it's the night before. Maybe it's the weekend before. Maybe it's during the holidays. Maybe it's over a decade of abusing and overeating and having low quality food. Those are the things that, you know, you're hardwiring your body has a hard time overcoming. The earlier in life that we get uh, set in our minds, that we have control of our metabolic destiny by lowering the amount of sugar we have, uh, correct. By lowering the amount of overall calories we eat, regardless of whether it's plant-based or not, okay, is better for us. Eating less is healthier. Caloric restriction in an experimental model just shows, you know, uh, you know, like it's 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 a an exemplar of saying, you know, we probably are left to our own devices. We probably tend to overeat. All right, we don't have enough control. So now if you know that we tend to overeat, eat less, it will be better for you. And and the caloric the benefits, the longevity benefits of caloric restriction, I would say a corollary to that is that you know, you live longer by eating less. You live less by eating too much. And so it's a matter of degrees. Like what we've been talking about in this conversation, which I love, is really we've been exploring the the fringe areas, extremes. You know the sumo wrestler. You know the 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 anorectic. You know like that that or the prisoner of war. Mm-hmm. Okay, none of those are healthy. Okay, and and even though uh, and and even though they're surprises, it is true. Super skinny people with ultra lean mass 
uh, who get uh, who are on a cardiac catheterization table, cardiologist, okay, looks at them. Look, they they tend to have more complications and they tend to die more from the complications mm. compared to somebody who's overweight that has a heart disease. So it's, this is the the crux of the thing that I'm trying to get to with, uh, okay, if I overeat soda versus I overeat um, fat is I'm... I have a perhaps just novice's understanding of metabolic disease. And so everything that's ever been referenced as metabolic disease to me has sounded like, oh, this is a an insulin glucose problem, period. And so in my overly simplistic mind, um, metabolic disease is a disease of overconsumption of glucose. But now I'm realizing that that might only be what that might just be the common way that people get metabolic disease in modern lifestyle the most that common food way. is hyper palatable. The most common way. So yeah. is there another type of metabolic disease that would manifest from overeating fat? And the reason that you just triggered that thought in me by explaining that somebody who's underweight still goes in for cardiac catheterization. Um makes me then ask the question, okay, if I'm a doctor and I'm looking at the two hearts, can I tell, oh, this is somebody who's underweight and this is somebody who's overweight? I'm guessing you're going to say yes. And so then I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Then there's two different disease types. It's just one is really common yeah. and one is not common. Th that's that's case. And and by the way, metabolic diseases, there's there are hundreds of different kinds because any defect in a chemical reaction that's a tied to generating energy at any stage, whether it's connected directly to insulin or not, whether it's connected to sugar or not. You know, I mean, there are uh, uh, tons of, our body has to detoxify as part of its metabolism, right? You need energy, you need to get rid of the toxins. It's kind of like the, uh, uh, the, 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 the carburetor of your car, all right? It, you know, Look, there's no problem with the uh, the gas tank and the engine looks and the fuel lines look fine. Carburetor's busted. All right, now your car's not going to run well. So, mm. the metabolic health and metabolic disease is actually uh, very very complicated. Sugar happens to be excess sugar happens to be the hallmark of modern uh, industrialized life with because of the food industry and marketing. You know, and and by the way, a little bit's evolutionary. Our brains are hardwired to crave sugar. I mean, you know, troglodytes probably crave sugar whenever they can find it. A berry, let's go pick all the berries because we want to store all that energy mm. into our body. I think what, what's, you know, if I could sort of character assassinate one aspect of our society is that we live in abundance. We have poor uh, self-knowledge and self-control. Uh, we're beginning, the, and the science is now beginning to unreveal exactly how we really work, you know, and how bad things that we always assumed were bad, how bad it can actually be. And also maybe not as bad as we thought in some instances as well. Skinny was always thought to be good. Well, except unless you're a prisoner of war, right? Fat's always thought to be bad. Well, wait a minute, but sooner wrestlers for that period of time in their life, it's not all bad. So we need to rethink body fat. We need to rethink metabolism and to have a better understanding of like what's really going on. That's what I do as a scientist and as a doctor talking to patients, I've got to really be able to be the honest broker to say, we don't know everything. So just because you assume that your metabolism slows down at middle age automatically doesn't mean that it does. The new research begins to reveal that other things are actually happening to make you gain weight, to change your body shape. And, and because of that, 
there may be newfound solutions to it as well. Mm. All right, I wanna put a, another thought experiment out for okay. the underside. So now if we were doing the same experimentation, so one is just a, what we'll call a terrible quality diet, so we'll give them soda again, yep. uh, but you're drinking like 1200 calories. So you're, you're going to lose weight you definitely won't be accumulating fat. At least I can't, I'll be surprised if that's your answer. And then over here, you're eating that healthy diet again, uh, getting most of your calories from fat, mm -hmm. you know, drizzled over better greens, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what is that gonna look like? Are they both gonna be fine? Is this, does it really boil down to, as long as you don't tip over into overeating, your body will, will be just fine, even if all you're doing is drinking soda? No, because I would say that the caloric restriction in which all the calories are coming from soda are going to still over day in and day out is going to really overload, overtax your insulin. It's going to overtax mm. that, that axis of metabolism. It will, even though you're not overloading it, but that's all it's getting. It's not getting any of the other balanced, diverse repertoire of bioactives that come from eating mm -hmm. a more balanced meal. And by the way, the other thing that's important that you know can't be underscored in the scenario you you talked about is our gut, the contribution of our gut microbiome. All right, when we eat normal calories uh, with a with a plant based salad with greens or whatever, we're eating dietary fiber, and it's and that fiber is feeding our gut bacteria. That thirty nine trillion population, that ecosystem in our gut that actually lowers and helps it when it's happy and well-fed, lowers inflammation, helps our insulin work more efficiently, um, uh, contributes to healing organs that might be injured and, and regenerating tissue from the inside out, text messages our brain so we're able to be clear-minded, better cognition, better decision-making, mm -hmm. okay? Healthy gut below, healthy body upstairs, including our brains. Now, you give people caloric restriction, uh, or any amount of calories, normal calories, let's call it, out of soda, no dietary fiber, no prebiotics, no bioactives that feed your gut microbiome. Your gut microbiome is starving. Now your starving gut microbiome is gonna change that ecosystem, it's gonna be a sick ecosystem. You can't see it in a mirror, you can't judge it from across the street or across the table, but I guarantee you that uh, disintegrating ecosystem inside your gut is now gonna cause inflammation to rise in your body, mm. all right? It's gonna actually cause your hormones to kind of start raging in wild ways. The messages that it texts to your brain aren't regular messages anymore. Now, you're less happy, you're more depressed, you've got brain fog. Now when you're presented with some a choice of something to eat, I don't know, maybe you're gonna make the wrong choice. Maybe you're gonna overeat something, right? And so again, and should you be exercising when your gut is telling you you shouldn't be happy, you should be depressed? Probably not, all right? And now you're not gonna be sleeping as well either. And so you can kind of see uh, it's, it's uh, I think you're correct in many respects that overloading on sugar or sugar alone as a dietary staple is harmful. But the reasons it's harmful are not as simple as insulin or non-insulin, body fat and non-body fat. Uh, and the benefits, by the way, of eating uh, healthy salads or health, health, eating plant-based foods, again, I'm not a vegan or a vegetarian even, mm. 
I do eat a lot of plants. Um, it, it's not simply because you're having the color of the rainbow. You know, it's that there are explanations that we're beginning to unearth now of how these foods and what we, you know, when it comes to food and health, it's not just about the food. It's about how our body responds to what we put inside it. Back to this quality of fuel, soda, poor quality fuel, salad, good quality fuel, ice cream, tasty, probably not the best quality fuel. You shouldn't be having it all the time, but you know, there's a lot of people who make a habit out of eating soda and ice cream most of the time. And those are the people in a, in a, in an era of abundance in a society where we can pick and choose anything we want at any time, all right, where when you make the wrong choices, most of the time, your body and your metabolism is going to pay for it. Mm. Yeah. So, whew, man, uh, I'm I'm always surprised that diet isn't the thing that people just say that that's the only lever. Um, because it seems so much more important than exercise, but I get it. I get it. I just, I don't know enough about all of that. So I, I acquiesce to, uh, smarter people than I, um, but on diet. So I want to talk a little bit more about sugar. So clearly more complex than I was thinking before this, uh, interview, which has really been great. Um, but what does it look like to start pulling sugar out of your diet? So what are the, what are the things that I'm going to avoid? And, and I think this will be a a good way for us to transition into a lot of the stuff you talk about in the book about the bioactives and what people need to add to the whole point about eating to beat your diet. Um, what do I get by removing sugar? And then, um, how do I combat some of the mistakes I may have made that leave me with more adipose than I would like? Right. Okay. So I think everyone let's let's get some practical things that that people can actually do something about uh cutting down or cutting out food any kind of food that has added sugar is a good healthy move to make if you want to optimize your health or if you just want to actually incrementally make your health a little bit better think about whether or not somebody has added sugar to whatever it is you're about to put in your mouth okay i'm not talking about a restaurant meal all right. What I'm talking about is an ultra-processed food mm-hmm. where you can actually look at the ingredients and based on where, how far up or how close to the beginning sugar actually sits in that ingredient list, that tells you how much is actually in there relative to everything else. Soda is water and sugar and flavoring and preservatives and stabilizers and coloring. You know, And so you can sort of see, cut down on those types of foods. Um, uh, it's going to be your body's going to thank you for it. That's an easy, super simple way. If somebody's added sugar to a food, cut it down or cut it out to immediately start to unload your metabolism and to allow it to actually start to breathe and relax and do what it wants to do. You're unpacking it, unburdening your metabolism by not loading added sugar onto it. All right. Now, the other thing that you can be doing is eating foods that might be sweet. So like everyone likes a hit of sugar, right? I mean, that's just our bodies. We, we like it. So, but if you eat something sweet, like a piece of fruit, it doesn't have to be a very sweet fruit. A pear, some kinds of pears are not that all that sweet. Apple's not usually all that sweet. But guess what? You can get that sugar hit, all right? Uh, your brain will, will, will register it. But now you get all these other things that are, part of the plant, part of the fruit, part of the vegetable. 
you're going to get in an apple. You're going to get the, the nice juicy apple as, 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 as liquid, but you're going to get dietary fiber. You're going to get chlorogenic acid in the flesh of the apple. Mm. That chlorogenic acid, by the way, is going to improve your immune system. It's going to protect your stem cells from regenerating. It's going to help to burn down harmful visceral fat. And so is the part of a bioactive called elagic acid in the skin of the apple, right? So I'm somebody that studies food as medicine. You sit down maybe and you order something. You're just going to eat it because you, 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 you're hungry and you want to eat. This is what you want to eat. I sit down or I go to work and I look at a piece of food and I'm wondering what's inside it? What is it made out of? And what, what based on what it's made out of, how does that stuff affect the body? How does the body respond to it? Does it respond in a good way or a bad way? So I would say that you know one of the things that you want to be able to do is eat more of Mother Nature's pharmacy. That's pharmacy spelled with an F, like stuff out of a farm, as opposed to a PH, like pharmaceutical, right? Uh, because what happens when you actually gain too much body fat and your metabolism is down? You got to resort to pharmaceuticals, right? I mean, that's what that's the bummer. You know, if you abuse your body and you're dealing with the the fallout of of dietary uh, not taking care of a good diet, over time, you're going to wind up being on insulin or being on metformin, or now you can see this crazy raging trend of prescription weight loss drugs to try to prevent you from overeating. Mm. By the way, you know how those Ozempic. drugs work? Ozempic, Wagovi, all these things. You got to inject it in mm. your belly, okay? It's originally developed for diabetes. And what it does is it, it affects your brain by um, keep on pressing the button in your brain that signals that you're full. Hmm. All right. That's how these weight loss drugs. So here's how I come at this. Uh, this is how I talk about the whole topic of weight loss drugs. I know it's very popular and I know it works. All right. And, and absolutely. There are people who have morbid obesity. Okay. Who might look like sumo wrestlers, but they don't, they're not. All right. Those people whose lives are in danger, uh, might need these prescription drugs. That's why mm. they're FDA approved. However, the the trend, the rage, the demand, um, the, this craze towards weight loss drugs is not necessarily a good thing for two reasons. Number one, it blocks something in your brain that tells you that you're hungry. So yeah, sure, you might calorically restrict, but you might also be un you might undernourish yourself of the healthy bioactives, mm. which is why I'm bringing this up. All right, this is very popular right now, but the people are, you know, they're losing weight in weird sort of ways. You've heard about Ozempic face. They're, no. they're, it kind of melts fat away, including changes the fat, the way you look in your face. People, Whoa. some people don't even look normal. Okay. So oh. just, and, and the other thing is that we don't know what the consequences are for people who are, who don't suffer from obesity, frank obesity, yeah. to be able to do this for a long period of time. It's also depriving diabetics of the drugs that they, that they need for their health. Like this popularity of like- um, Because Ozempic, they need Ozempic or it- Because it they need Ozempic, they're using Ozempic as a treatment for diabetes or medically indicated. And now all the supplies of Ozempic are depleted and they can't even, they have to wait mm. for the supplies to be replenished. Meanwhile, other people are going to just hog their Ozempic supplies, right. all right? And they don't, they're not, and they're not medically in need of this. It's a vanity issue. All right, and and the, but for type two diabetics, they can control it through their diet entirely. They can, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Not everyone can, but most people with diet and lifestyle. Type you can, two diabetes, yeah. Who that has type two diabetes can't control it through lifestyle. 
I think there are people who are have multitude of other comorbidities. Um, and it may be that, you know, they develop type two diabetes um, long after they were already morbidly obese. Mm. You know, they, they may not be able to just simply exercise and eat their way back into metabolic Health. Really? Is it is it the fat cells are kicking off? Could be. It could be uh, like over cascade? over uh, uh, excessive inflammation. Uh, if you're super elderly, I mean, there's a whole host of diseases. You might have other autoimmune diseases that are actually affecting oh, your now hormones. You have to tell me more about this. You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off and that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com impact and use code impact to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You will never be able to reach your full potential if you are riddled with stress and have a lot weighing on your mind. I can tell you from my own experiences with stress and negative thought loops, you have to find a way to work through whatever it is that's weighing on you if you're going to have any hope of achieving your goals. Therapy can be an option for working through things and for an online therapy option that is super convenient and flexible, be sure to check out BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, everything is 100% online and getting started is quick and easy. A brief questionnaire matches you with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash impact theory. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need and Impact Theory's own Chief Financial 
financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. Okay, so uh, at the risk of derailing us, but this is very, very interesting. So someone I know and love very much has a lot of comorbidities, and I was encouraging this person to fast Mm-hmm. And intermittent fast and they pointed out that they they do like a 13 to 14 hour intermittent fast every day okay and i was like hmm okay that's actually more impressive than i thought there's still a lot of room to go but it just got me thinking hmm is she going to struggle more because of her like she has a thyroid condition um you know a couple other things going on just to keep it spicy and it it did get me started thinking like, hmm, is this going to be a more complicated thing? So there, you can basically break your metabolism. I don't know if you'd use those words, but you can break your metabolism to the point where even though something like diabetes type 2, when caught early enough, I don't know how to say it, is entirely lifestyle controllable, you're saying you can be sort of too far gone that it, not that it's impossible, but that it's you're going to have a lot of pushback. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Absolutely. The resilience of the body, by the way, is compromised by the magnitude and the number of of oppositional conditions mm. that it actually has. If you're relatively healthy and you've got type 2 diabetes, you know, from lifestyle, if you fix your lifestyle, your body's resilience, it'll bounce back. You'll actually be able to reser- reverse it for sure. That is a 100% sure. But if you have a whole host of other comorbidities, other conditions that are weighing you down, thyroid problems, pituitary problems, adrenal problems, you know, you you name it. And they could be autoimmune, they could be inflammatory, they could be all kinds of other things, could be mm. from surgery, you know, you, you had, uh, you know, and so uh, uh, then all of a sudden, these other complications make it harder for your body to bounce back simply by eating more healthy and also um, exercising more. Hmm. What would you do with a person that's in that situation where they've got enough comorbidities that this is really going to be a tough unwind? How do you start? I mean, are you just like, look, at some point, you just there's no coming back, or is there well, a look, path? You know, I will. I can give you that answer at, from my vantage as the kind of doctor I am. Sure, I'm trained in internal medicine. It means that I take care of men and women, young and old, healthy and sick. My own vantage point has always been to try to keep people from requiring medication. Mm. I'll use it when I need to, but if I prescribe a medication, it's when it's necessary, I will always think when I get somebody, when I prescribe a medication, I will always think in my head, what is my plan gonna be to get them off that medication? Mm. How can we actually get them to a point where they don't need it anymore? come down on the dose first and then come off of it if possible. It's not always possible, but I've always thought about it. Now that's not actually how most medical professionals are trained to think. And and I'm just telling you, I was cut from this bolt of cloth where you go to medical school, you're trained to uh, ignore health, only focus on disease, usually 
very advanced disease. You make the diagnosis, and then we throw pharmaceuticals and technology at it. And because we're not thinking about getting people back to health because we ignored it from the beginning, we wind up just chasing chronic disease with chronic treatments. And now that our healthcare system is clearly breaking, it's collapsing under the weight of these chronic diseases, everyone, insurance companies, medical systems, doctors, medical education, medical educators, everybody is having a rethink. We cannot sustain this too much longer. And not only does the system fail, but individual lives and quality of life is compromised. And so that's why, you know, someone like me, you know, I have long had from the very beginning of my career, this idea, let's keep people healthy. Let's understand what that actually means. Let's use food, diet and lifestyle as the primary tool to keep people healthy. Let's make people feel empowered. Healthcare happens at home, not in the doctor's office. You know, All we can do is to counsel and advise and try to help people understand what they can do for themselves. And you know, they come to the, back to the doctor's office when they're sick, all right? And if we can get them back to health, that's a, that's a win. So for me, I score my performance in medicine as being able to keep people from medications, getting them off medications, uh, and getting them bounced back to health. And food as a tool in the toolbox is one of the most important things that I learned on my own. And then as a researcher, just how powerful it actually is. Mm. All right. So uh, bioactives, mm. let's get into those. So you go into a lot of detail in the book about bioactives. Um, how much of that, like I've, I've never been like a big believer in supplements. I don't supplement with basically anything, vitamin D occasionally, but other than that, not at all. Hmm. Um, because I probably oversimplify the way that I think about food. And so your book was really intriguing in terms of like, Hey, there are compounds in this, 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 and this, and they're very useful for, for instance, how do we get brown fat turned on, which I don't think we ever defined brown fat, so it'd probably be good. Take a second to define brown fat. Okay. Talk to me about these bioactives, how we trigger things like brown fat to consume the white fat. It, get, it gets pretty interesting. And if I could, do you consider bioactives to be signaling molecules? Like, are they telling your body, go do this? Or is there a more uh, mechanistic, like it goes in and it flips the enzyme that's being used to break down fructose, something like that. Okay. Let's um, pick up that thread from defining fat. We talked about white fat, subcutaneous and visceral and inflammation and all the leaking and all that kind of damage it can do. But that actually, in the right amounts, it's actually incredibly helpful. And white fat, I mentioned to you, is lumpy, bumpy, wiggly, jiggly. It's the stuff you can see in the mirror. Okay, um, uh, but there's another kind of fat in the body and it's called brown fat. And brown fat actually is not wiggly jiggly. It's actually paper thin mm. and it's not close to the surface. So you can't see it. It's close to the bone. It's plastered along our neck. Okay, it's plastered under our breastbone and it's a little bit, it's under our arms like a girdle and a little bit in our belly. All right. And we and all hold it in the same place. We all hold it in the same place. So okay. And and this discovery of brown fat is relatively recent. It's like within the last 20 years that we didn't realize that we have so much brown fat mm. and now we're beginning to understand what it does. Um, let's talk about what it does. It's a space heater in the body. It actually turns on heat. It burns energy to create heat. And uh, what do we mean by burning energy? Well, if you have a gas range stove, 
in your house, what do you do when you actually want to boil some water? You go click, 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 whoosh. It burns on. You see the flame, all right? And and that flame is being, being fed by fuel. It's got to consume the fuel from someplace. Well, brown fat does the same thing, okay? It goes whoosh. It generates heat under certain circumstances. We're going to talk about that in a second, all right? I can tell you cold temperatures and bioactives will do it, mm. okay? Um, it goes whoosh, and it, it has to burn down fuel. Where does brown fat draw the fuel from? It draws it from the harmful white fat, draws it from visceral fat. So brown fat can burn down white fat. It depletes the fuel tank and burns it down, fat versus fat. Mm. And it's turned on by cold temperatures and bioactives. Now, I want to go back and tell you how we discovered it because this is an interesting story. You know, uh, the history of discovery in science, is I, I find it so fascinating. So go back to the 1700s. There was a guy named Conrad Gessner, who's a researcher. He's a naturalist. He studied the natural world. What's a tree look like? What's a muskrat look like? And he wound up studying um, a uh, a little furry mammal that like a, that looked like a woodchuck called an alpine marmot. And it was a hibernating animal, which means that he had to go find them uh, hiding in a little cave when it was in the middle of the winter. And when he basically, and this is what they did back then, they would actually dissect it in the lab to see what kind of organs it actually has, because nobody knew about organs. He found that in this uh, hibernating animal that he had removed from a cave during the middle of the cold winter in Europe, that there was a little thing between its shoulder blades that was a brown looking um, uh, uh, organ, and they didn't know what it was called. They actually named it a hibernoma because they thought it was just in hibernating That's animals. Very clever. And they found it in hibernating bats and hibernating squirrels and other hibernating animals over time. They never knew what the what the purpose of this thing was. All right, so they just this is this is what's in the literature going all the way back then. In the uh, in the early 1900s, a scientist at UCLA actually put this hibernoma, this brown tissue, under the microscope. And by now, we had better ways of looking at at at, at cells. We had names for cells, and we had more powerful microscopes and looked at it and said, oh, my gosh, this hibernoma is actually filled with fat. It's actually mm. fat. And it's an interesting fat because it's brown. And now, why is um, this brown fat brown? Well, it, it turns out that the brown fat, when you look even closer under the microscope, the brown fat cells are filled with these little mini organs called mitochondria. Now- you know, some of you guys might have heard of mitochondria before in a, in a health and wellness space, in a biohacking space. But mitochondria are energy generators. They're they're they they're like little bad nuclear fuels, fuel tanks uh, in our inside our cells. When I was in medical school and I had to memorize hundreds of things, I always called mitochondria mitochondria because they are small and mighty. They burst out with heat. All right, and and one of the ca- characteristics of mitochondria is there's a lot of a lot of a lot of mitochondria in brown fat, and mitochondria has a lot of iron mm. in it. What does iron do when you leave it outside? It rusts, it oxidizes, and so what the, all this like super packed mitochondria in fat does is it oxidizes, and now it's brown mm. like rusty nails. So that's why brown fat is brown. It's packed with these mighty chondria, these nuclear fuel cells, and that's how it fires up the heat. And it's got to draw that heat from white fat. So good fat, now we know what it is, why it works, and we didn't think it was in humans. 
for a long time. And the way that was discovered in humans is really, really interesting. We always knew babies had maybe a little bit between their shoulder blades, or it's like, ah, it's an evolutionary artifact. You know, kids are born with incubators now or like warm delivery rooms. We don't need that stuff. And that must go away when you're an adult, right? Because nobody's got a little lump between their shoulder blades. It's pretty smooth usually or muscular. Um, well, it turns out there was a woman in uh, uh, just about 20 years ago in Boston who came in with a tumor in her chest. And, uh, uh, and they did a scan to look at metabolism uh, uh, because they, because at the time, PET scan and the PET scan that you know, it, positron emission, emission tomography, we call it a PET scan, picks up metabolism. It's a way of measuring tumors actually are particularly metabolically active. It consumes a lot of sugar. It's very super active. You can find tumors by, by, uh, by looking at the PET scan. When they scanned this lady, her tumor lit up like a Christmas tree. Hmm. Not surprising. Cancers light up. They consume a lot of sugar, all right? And so it's a tumor that's lighting up. But when they biopsied it, they removed it from her chest and they looked under the microscope. Guess what it was? Brown fat. It was brown fat. Is brown not a fat cancer. sucking up more glucose? Is that what they were reading? They were reading the metabolism, the firing up, the consuming of the fuel, metabolic activity mm. that it was doing. Anything that generates metabolism will be picked up on a PET scan, including glucose. Mm. But in this case, it was the brown fat was drawing energy from white fat and lighting it up. So they found it and they're like, oh my gosh, an adult actually has brown fat. And they found it on a PET scan. Now PET scans, 20 some years ago, still pretty new. And so uh, uh, what they, what the researcher did is they like, you know, I'm wondering if we've been seeing brown fat, it wasn't a cancer by the way. I'm wondering if we've been seeing brown fat in these PET scans that have been done thousands of times, tens of thousands of the times. And we just missed it because we never thought about it and we never biopsied it. So we went back and he looked at thousands of PET scans in the radiology record room. And you know what? There was some brown fat that was lighting up. You could see it around the neck and be under the chest, under the breastbone, under the arms. Mm. All right. But not everyone had it. And so the researchers were like, wait a minute, this is weird. It's not consistent. It doesn't make sense until... They looked at the season, the date in which the PET scans were taken. Remember, this is Boston, New England, cold winters. Every time they saw brown fat on PET scan was in the winter with cold temperatures, just like the hibernating animals. So cold temperatures signal to our body to light up the brown fat in order in, in humans to be able to burn down energy. So this is, by the way, you hear about cold plunges. Now, now you know why it actually why it makes works. sense. It actually works, okay? But here's the cool thing when it comes to food and bioactives. We also discovered exactly the pathways that cold activates the brown fat. So I'll walk you through this quickly because I know actually you'll understand why the bioactives do it as well. We know that cold temperatures cause the brain to release uh, a hormone called norepinephrine. It's kind of a stress hormone, you know, fight or flight, a little bit of stress hormone. And when the, when the hormone runs down the, from the brain to the nerves to the brown fat, it hits a receptor that basically is a trigger, a switch to say, turn on the engines, baby. Click, 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 whoosh, like on the top of your flame or your stovetop, and the brown fat will turn on. Well, it turns out when you map out all these signals, it's not just cold temperatures that will cause that brain to release the hormone. Chili peppers will do the same thing. When you eat spicy food, capsaicin, 
which gives you the burn, the, the zing on your tongue. That capsaicin, a bioactive from chili peppers, activates a receptor in your tongue that your tongue will then send a message to your brain to say, hey, release some of that norepinephrine, release some of that hormone. And so if you eat chili peppers in a quiet room where you're by yourself and you're able to close your eyes and you'll feel the zing up to your brain, you'll actually feel the hormone being released down the side of your neck, down your nerves, activating your brown fat. So chili peppers activate brown fat and we can prove it with a PET scan. You can scan. That's actually been done? It's been done. Wow. With chili peppers. Okay. And if that chili peppers work now, and we know all the other ways of doing it, now we can actually start to realize, man, maybe there's other foods that activate brown fat as well. Tomatoes contain lycopene. Lycopene uh, actually activates brown fat. So you can trigger the burning down of, of visceral fat, white fat, by activating your brown fat. Hmm. So profound. How much do you have to eat to get that effect? Not that much. There was one study that was done, it was really quite remarkable in Spain, where they gave young women who were carrying a little extra weight just one ripe tomato to eat before lunch. That's it, one tomato. That's it. With Skin and all, get your lectins. Forget nom, about nom, the lectins, that's a, myth. that's a myth. It's a, it's it's fake news. I'm a researcher who studies lectins. I can tell you there are hundreds of lectins. The idea that lectins are a single thing present in a tomato is and it's poison. This is just not true. Hmm. Okay. Why do so many people struggle with nightshades? I always assumed it was the nightshade is also a uh, a uh, a misnomer. There's a whole history I write about. Is in this it a book. miscategorization or? Okay, we're gonna go there. So when <laughs> Spaniard uh, went to Latin America, South yep. America, and found tomatoes and brought them back to um, uh, Southern Europe. Okay, as as prizes. They didn't just bring back the tomato, they brought back the tomato on the vine. And they were given as presents to wealthy patrons of the expeditions. And they didn't know what to do with these things. Um, they kind of looked like apples and they weren't red, they were gold golden in the beginning. Mm. <clears throat> in fact, the Italians called it palma apple doro, gold apple, because it kind of looked like an apple and it was gold. That's mm. why it was called pomodoro. Right, that's why the Italian word for tomato is pomodoro, okay? Um, and what they didn't know what they was, um, and so they sent some of the leaves up to England where the horticulturists and the botanists were trying to identify this leaf that they hadn't seen before. You know, they had never seen one before. It was brand new, but it kind of resembled nightshade, all right? A deadly nightshade. So they're like, well, I don't know. It kind of looks like a nightshade. It's not a nightshade, but it kind of looks like a nightshade. Let's throw it right. in that category. So that's how this idea of the nightshade stuck. Mm. It's not a nightshade. In fact, the, the nightshade family, there is nightshade. It is one member of a bigger family of plants, now popularly known as nightshades, eggplants and everything else. And there is one plant of the nightshade family called belladonna that actually is poisonous. You can poison yourself if you have belladonna plants among many nightshade plants. That's the only one that really is de deadly. Maybe there's two of them. One of, That's the one that's really deadly toxin. But guess what? Doctors use belladonna alkaloids, that nightshade, to treat glaucoma. Hmm. So, so even the nightshade has beneficial use. But anyway, so this is the f false association, okay, um, uh, of nightshade to so tomato. So people who claim to have problems with peppers, tomatoes, they, eggplant. They probably have a sensitivities to some other aspect within the plant. It's hmm. You can't just like throw nightshade. I can't eat any nightshades, night, deadly nightshades, deadly plants. Not true, okay? Now, by the way, 
the 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 myth of tomatoes being poison and deadly. I told you that the the exp, the expedition gave them to wealthy people. Okay, and they were used as auger de art. These beautiful golden tomatoes with their vines, and guess where they placed them on display in their homes, in their villas. They put them on lead trays hmm. to display. Whoops! Now the acidic tomato, as it's ripening on a lead tray, will absorb the lead. Now you try to eat that tomato, you're going to get lead poisoning. So a hmm. lot of the early reports of tomatoes being poisonous was lead poisoning. Hmm. So what do the rich people do? And I'm obviously oversimplifying a historical story. They're like, man, no more of this. Out the window, and guess where the tomatoes landed? In the peasants' yard. Hmm. Peasants don't have, weren't wealthy. They didn't have lead. So what do they do? They ate the tomatoes because it's food, all right? And they planted them and they cultivated them and never put them on heavy metal, hmm. all right? And so that's why peasant food often in, in a Mediterranean often come, often tomatoes, cooked tomato dishes, recipes, come originally from peasant food. And it was never considered to be toxic because the peasants never put them on lead trays. Mm. And I hope I've kind of debunked a little bit and put some context into things that you may have heard about. Tomatoes, nightshade, nightshade's poisonous, tomatoes are poisonous. Oh, and, and by the way, you know, like, uh, and there's a, there's, a, there's a story behind that, okay? And then this whole idea of the, the, the lectins, hundreds of lectins in nature, Tomatoes do have some lectins, as do, as do many other foods. Our body has lectins in it too, by the way. M most lectins are not poisonous, including the ones that are in tomato. If you only, if you, in normal diet, no caloric restriction, eat whatever you're going to eat in Spain, <clears throat> no special exercise, no trainer, no work, no workout, special workout, no gym, whatever you do, however you moved, you keep on moving. However you ate, you kept on eating. One tomato a day will actually shrink their, light up their brown fat shrink their, uh, burn down their harmful white fat and shrink their waistline by an inch. Hmm. So that's visceral fat disappearing, all right? Not very much, the dose is not that much. Another study at the University of Toronto looked at a very, very inexpensive middle aisle food. Remember the forbidden middle aisles? Don't go there. I'm telling you to go pick out the treasures that are in there. And what are one of the treasures? Beans, canned edible Canned prepared beans. So they studied uh, one cup of canned beans uh, for uh, five days a week. Everybody ate everything else that they normally ate, no extra exercise, no caloric restriction, just five cups of beans a week, five out of seven days. They would actually, over the course of one month, they began to shrink down their visceral fat, their waistline, waist circumference started to shrink. Their metabolism improved. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 
If you strive to perform your best in life, bringing your energy and abilities into everything you do, then it only makes sense that you would want to be out on the road with that same power, agility, and performance that everyone expects from you. And there's no better option than the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable SUV yet, the third-generation Range Rover Sport. You guys know I love staying on the cutting edge with technology, and the Range Rover Sport's cabin features advanced technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. One way I make sure my business is moving in the right direction is to ensure we are constantly becoming more efficient. Because in my experience, inefficiencies will eat away your profits and leave you with a dying business. But with the right technology, your business can get the insights it needs to become efficient and ultimately unstoppable. And that is why I recommend you check out NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all of it into one platform and one source of truth. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors that are massively inefficient. Guys, inflation is no joke. So check out NetSuite and see how you can cut costs and boost performance at the same time, like the 37,000 companies that have already made the switch. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Do not wait. Head right now to netsuite.com slash theory. Again, that's netsuite.com slash theory. Get the information you need. Head to netsuite.com slash theory. Is there a limit to this or can I start stacking it? Could I eat a tomato, a cup of beans every day and get double the effect? Or is there a point at which- We, we don't know that this is, this is right now we're just starting to- just study one thing at a time, mm. but it's what you're asking is to me where the ball is going to be. What happens when you combine foods? Now, I will tell you uh, one combination that already we already know about, and that is tomatoes and olive oil. So remember we talked about lycopene, which activates your brown fat. Yep. And there's 150 foods I write about in my book that can all do this. All uh, tied different, to brown ways. fat. Uh, all kinds, all, yeah. So um, lycopene lights up brown fat. But the lycopene in a um, uh, in a plain tomato is absorbed in the body, but it actually gets absorbed much better in the body if you cook it with olive oil. You hmm. simmer it. The heat from simmering tomatoes, okay, actually changes the chemistry of Mother Nature's ly- lycopene on the vine in a way that your body can absorb much more avidly, okay, like th- like three times more avidly, three hundred percent more. Literally, more, more. sliced tomato, olive oil, heat. That's it, okay? Uh, or crushed tomato, however, have it your way. Mm. And, 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 the, and, and because lycopene, the chemistry of lycopene is, it's a fat-soluble molecule, mm. chemical, which means that it likes to dissolve in fat. You know, like, I mean, you've gone into your kitchen before and you know some things that you put into a cup of water will readily dissolve mm. and some things will just kind of like sit on the top. It yeah, doesn't yeah. mix very well, right? So uh, same thing in oil. 
Some things will readily dissolve in, in, in oil, but not water. Lycopene dissolves in oil. So olive oil with cooked tomatoes, where you're changing the chemistry, will actually then be the delivery system to really get a lot of lycopene into your system. So that's a combination, tomatoes and olive oil cooked in a particular way. That's what I'm actually working on right now is how do we go from these individual foods to think about how do we combine them? How do we prepare them? How do we treat them uh, in ways that actually can do even more than what we know they can do alone? So we talked about the the beans, but I'll just, I'll rattle off a couple of other things without necessarily going into all the data. Green tea will do it. Dried mushrooms will actually do it. Uh, lentils will do it. Do Capers. you have a sense of which ones are like more powerful than others? Because some of those things you're saying I like and some I don't. Yeah. And so- this Diversity is the name of the game. Hmm. So- For other reasons or the brown fat starts to get numb to the signal no, of one? No, actually for, for other reasons. I mean, well, first of all, diversity is the name of the game for our humanity. Hmm. All right, I want to say, I, I say that it's very important Food has so for so long, food and health, food in the health conversation has been for so long associated with, you know, um, negative uh, attributes. You know, food is harmful, cut down, eliminate, restrict, uh, deprive. Like that's how we think about diet. That's why, right, by the way, that's why the reason for my title, eat to beat that diet, go away from the diet and lean into the food because food is our humanity for thousands of years, tens of thousands of years. You know, look, food has been where people gather. We take care to harvest our food. We prepare our food. We have recipes that get handed down over the uh, generations, over centuries, no matter where, where we are, who we are, we're all different, but we all come from someplace. And where we come from, there are food traditions. And the ones that st stuck around for hundreds of years generally are healthier. Right. So the, the, you know, it'll be interesting in, you know, two or 300 years if people are still passing down Pop Tarts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so probably not. Um, yeah. I'm going to guess not. <laughs> right. AI better clean that one up for us. <laughs> so the, but the point is that, uh, the, the, the point I'm making is that we should love our food to love our health. And what food is medicine research is doing is taking a lot of these foods that, that have been used in traditional recipes looking at what the bioactives are in them, studying them in the lab and in humans to see what they do to our metabolism and what they do to our health defenses. And we're realizing that one of the things that, for example, one of our health defenses, our gut microbiome, our gut bacteria, our gut bacteria thrives on diversity. You feed it the same thing every single day, it's not very happy. Mm. That's why when you eat only the same thing every day, yeah, your stomach doesn't feel so great. You might have some loose stools every now and then, all right? Our gut demands diversity. So some things you like, eat them. Don't eat them all at the same time. Switch it out. Some things you don't like, no problem. You're, you know, the reason you don't like them, maybe you react poorly to them. Mm -hmm. Listen to your body. And so we talked about tea, capers, uh, olives, olive oil, uh, chili, fresh chili peppers, dried chili flakes, uh, 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 prunes, uh, apples, pears, fresh foods, bok choy, fresh mushrooms across a whole range. Go down the mushroom path a little bit. Yeah. So mushrooms freak me out. I absolutely hate them, but they come up so much that even I'm like, should I be finding a way to get these into my diet? Why do mushrooms freak you out? They feel weird in my mouth. They taste like dirt. 
and they live off of other things. I don't know. They freak me out. Okay. So like the 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 idea of the nature of a mushroom freaks you out. So the, fair- I'd be okay with that if they felt good in my mouth and okay. didn't taste like dirt. All right. But- well, so here's, I always tell people like if they, if you don't like a particular food, you probably haven't yet had the opportunity to have it prepared for you in a yeah, super I'll delicious that, way. Yeah, I'll buy that 100%. Okay. I used to fear sushi in ways you can't imagine. Until you- And now, until I found the one that I like, yep. and then that's the gateway, and then it opens exactly. up the whole culinary exactly. experience. And now I love sushi. Gateway foods. I like yep. that idea. All right. So first, let's talk about um, what's good in a mushroom. Mushrooms contain a fiber. It's kind of fun- funny to think that mushrooms are packed with fiber because they're soft and squishy mm. for the reasons that you described. Um, uh, but they contain a soluble fiber called beta-D-glucan. We know what it is. Uh, it's found in the, the the cap of the mushroom. So you, if you buy mushrooms, you bring them home, you, you put them on a cutting board, you cut off the cap, usually throw away the stems. Don't do it. The stems, the cap has beta-glucan. The stems have twice as much. Hmm. And beta-glucan, when we eat them, whether you saute them, you bake them, you fry them, I don't recommend frying, but you can also puree them. If you pur- pureed mushroom parts into a, a soup, you might not think that it would have a completely different yeah. mouthfeel for you. And then notice. you and then you added seasonings or herbs to give it a different feel, flavor or maybe mm. combine it with something else. You might actually, I might be able to con- convert you into a mushroom lover. Yeah, right. the yeah gateway, I'm the, super open the, to that. The, trust the, me. The gateway, the gateway dish. So you'll have to, you know, have me over in your kitchen sometime. I'll cook. I'll cook you dinner. Because um, I actually like. By the way, the reason I talk about food this way is because I like to cook. Dude, you lit up as soon as we started talking about like the specifics of the food. I'm and telling stuff. you, yeah, I love, I love food and food culture. I don't like to eat. Like I don't gorge, mm. but I, I, I live for tasting things. I love to explore all the. But you actually like to cook. Right? I like to cook. Yeah. The, so I love food. I love like going to a restaurant and having it made and trying new things. And I, I learned because I used to have food trauma as a kid, but I've really learned to be experimental and try yeah. things. And it's opened a lot of cool like uh, culinary doors for me, but I hate cooking. Okay. Hate. That, but that's okay. You know, you'll find another, you're going to find another way to try things. By the way, I, the other day, I, I just want to say this, this is, this is not off topic, but talking about trying, mm. I saw at a restaurant that there was a dish, it was a Spanish restaurant that had um, arroz negra. It's black rice, mm. a black paella, paella negra. Okay. And the blackness comes from squid ink. Whoa. Squid ink is pretty intense. It's jet black, it tastes of the sea. It's actually really delicious. But, uh, but I had just been reading about the fact that Squid ink has been studied in the lab and when fed to animals that have gotten chemotherapy, it protects the health of the gut. Hmm. So you know how chemo, people get chemo, they have diarrhea because they like yeah. the chemo like totally scorches their gut. Squid ink protects it. Hmm. It's pretty interesting. Do and they so, know how or why? Uh, you know, the superficial answer is it must be an antioxidant, um, but actually it turns out squid ink can actually stimulate healthy blood vessel growth, angiogenesis. It can Whoa. help to protect stem cells. That's so random. Do you know the story of rapamycin and how they found it? It was uh, in uh, Easter Island. Yeah. In Rapa Nui. Yeah, like in the swamp. And the people for however long would go there when they weren't feeling well and supposedly it made you feel better. Right. So this guy ends up taking some of the dirt back, looking at it. And they found the fungus. Yeah. That and- made- 
and was like, oh, maybe this is something. And it ends up being this huge something. And I'm just like, so weird, these compounds. Let's, let's, let's talk about it. Rapamycin inhibits a pathway called mTOR, mm-hmm. okay? mTOR is critical for fast aging. So rapamycin and its derivatives slow down aging. Mm. And one of the diabetic drugs called metformin actually is slowing down aging as well. It hits that same target. So again, you know, if you follow the trail of science, you kind of find all kinds of interesting mm. things. But uh, now where were we? Where, where were we talking about? We're talking about cooking. Yes. We were talking about bioactives. And uh, uh, and you were asking about combinations mm-hmm. and diversity. So our gut microbiome, the more diverse food that we eat, and this has been studied, the more diverse, especially healthy foods, uh, it could be, it doesn't have to be plants, but mostly plants and seafood, things like that. Um, the greater the diversity of the food that you eat, the happier the gut microbiome, the more diverse, the more different organisms you can grow, the more diversity of the population, of the ecosystem, uh, the the healthier your gut microbiome is. Healthier gut microbiome lowers inflammation, helps your metabolism, helps you heal faster. So again, you know, uh, don't be afraid of saying, "Well, I don't really like this, so I'm not going to be able to eat this uh, obsessively and exclusively, you know, for a whole week. So therefore, I can't be healthy." Mm. No, there are like I read about more than 200 foods that can light up your brown fat and help you reduce and burn down your white fat. So Mm -hmm. the whole idea of eating to beat your diet is connected to being able to rediscover the joy of eating the traditional foods that have recipes that include all these ingredients. That's what I'm talking about. Like, okay, don't eat too much. We started talking about don't don't overload your fuel tank, all right? So you don't wanna gorge, Um, eat diversely, mostly plant-based stuff because, you know, it's got all the, it's it's got meaningful calories. It's not the soda. Mm-hmm. It's it's quali- high quality fuel, high quality calories. It's got for the bioactives. What do those bioactives do? They do a lot of things. They light up all kinds of systems in your body for health. But one of the cool things and the foods I write about need to beat your diet. It lights up brown fat. What does brown fat do? Well, it's that hibernating fat that 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 goes whoosh and it actually fires up and it burns extra fuel and it steals that fuel from your harmful. White fat, especially the visceral fat. How do you know? Because human studies have been done to show eating these foods, not very much. Watch you shrink your waistline because your waist isn't being pooched out by the visceral fat. Your belt size, you get it, you tighten your belt a little bit further, slip into those genes. Wait a minute, aren't we back to a diet? Nope, because you're eating foods to be able to shrink down your excess fat. So is fat protective? Well, yeah, some fat is protective. I'm trying to hit all the things we started with. Yeah, you need fat because it's part of your metabolism. But should we be eating too much food, have too much fat? Nope. That'll actually outstrip the blood supply, cause inflammation, and cause that domino effect that wrecks your metabolism. So don't overeat. Eat the right, eat high quality fuel, eat diversely, and refer back to the foods that come from the Mediterranean and come from Asia. Those are two, I, I sort of try to simplify for people. Like they, I, people always ask me, Dr. Lee, how do you eat? What kind of diet are you on? And I'm like, I'm not on a diet. I don't believe, I don't go for diets for myself. Uh, I respect other people who try them, but I, I, I don't. But I do have a way of eating. And my way of eating, I call it Mediterranean. I'm Asian, I've lived in Asia before. I've lived in, Mediterra- in the Mediterranean. Um, uh, and 
naturally I gravitate towards dishes and ingredients and recipes in one of those two genres. If I'm at a restaurant, I'm looking at a whole bunch of offerings, I'll kind of say, well, what's kind of Asian-ish and what's, what's kind of Mediterranean, what are the Mediterranean offerings? And I'll try to go for those automatically, all right? It's easy to do, not expensive. The stuff that I talk about, the beans, dirt cheap. So this is not a rich man's folly to pursue that you can't sustain. This is actually tapping back into our humanity to be able to eat foods that we enjoy. And if you don't like mushrooms, which are one of those healthy foods, you know, I would love to cook a dish for you, a mushroom dish that doesn't give you that weird texture to see if you like it. And that's part of the fun and sh of sharing mm. enthusiasm for food as well. You know, in America, one of the things that I, I you know, I, I did a gap year before I went to medical school and I lived in Italy and I lived in Greece. The first thing I noticed is that when you're in the Mediterranean, when you're in America, you know, like you're eating by yourself, you're wolfing down your food, um, you know, and when you're sitting with people, what are you talking about? You're talking about your problems. You're talking about the things that you need to do. You're, you're, when, the first thing I noticed when I was in Italy, when you sit down, first of all, uh, you, never, you never eat by yourself. You're always eating with somebody else. And when they serve that delicious Mediterranean food, all right, you don't talk about your problems. What do you talk about? They talk about the food. They talk about, this is how my mom prepared. This is what I love about this food. This is the season for this food. You savor the experience of the food. And so that's why I think, even though we were kind of like, biohacking into the kind of the mechanisms, I want to kind of bring this conversation into the point that you want to eat to beat your diet. It's not about going into a diet. It's tapping back into our humanity to go back into those foods that come from the Mediterranean, come from Asia. They come from other places as well, but they've been codified in recipes and in traditions that we can get behind. This is not hard to do. If you don't want to go into the science, if you want to geek out into the science, it's all there. You want to talk to me about it? I'm happy to take it, you know, as far... Yeah, I can go a mile deep with this conversation. But honestly, at the end of the day, it's like you and me sitting across a table, ordering some food and just really enjoying what's in there and talking about the food. That's actually how to eat to beat your diet. Mm -hmm. And I think that this actually overcomes the stigma about food and health, that you have to stay away from it. That, you know, it's in, and don't demonize your food. Look, there are demons out there for sure. But look for the angels. Like, don't, wouldn't you rather actually surround yourself on a daily basis, three times a day, with something that gives you peace and gives you pleasure? That's the joy of, of health. That's the joy of, of eating. And I think that's really how we can actually best protect our metabolism. And by the way, one last thing about those prescription weight loss drugs. Man, what a bummer it is to actually take a medicine that blocks your appetite so you don't want to mm. eat that delicious food. That's my kind of pet peeve about this trend. In addition to all those other uh, caveats that I actually gave is like, who would want to actually block their humanity of enjoying food? You like food? How would you like to not care about your food anymore? That's a bummer. So to me, it's really reigniting this joy of eating. I love it, man. Where can people follow you and connect with you over your love of eating? You know what? Uh, come to my website. Uh, it's uh, Dr. Dr. William. Lee, L-I, dot com, drwilliamlee.com. Everything is on there. Sign up for my newsletter. It's completely free. It's the stuff that comes from human research because that is information that relates to all of us. Eat to beat your diet, everybody. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Peace. Click here to learn now the top five foods you should never eat.
I have done the vegan thing. I have tried the low protein thing. It will provably make you feel like crap, which will make you wish you didn't live longer. 